I have a, a somewhat personal question for you this morning. And the question is this, um, how many of you have a scar someplace on your body? You don't have to show the scar, just acknowledge that you have one. Okay. Now, I want you to think about this. Every star, every star, every scar has a story. I was thinking about one of my favorite movies, Jaws. How many of you have seen Jaws? Yeah, the quintessential shark movie. Um, remember the scene when they're sitting around talking about all their scars from shark bites? Yeah, the shark got me here. Every scar has a story. And for example, I have a scar on my forehead. You probably can't see it, but I got it when I was seven years old. I got hit in the head with a baseball bat and had to go to the ER and get stitches. Um, I, I have a lot of scars uh, on my body. Let me tell you about a couple of others. Um, I have scars on both my eyelids. When Chris and I were first married, I was really into martial arts and I was fighting in a tournament and had both my eyelids almost ripped off. And so I had to go to the ER against it, get some stitches, but those scars are pretty much, you know, those wounds have healed. Um, I've got a really interesting scar on my thumb here where I cut myself with a, a skill saw <laughs> building the house in Loxahatchee. And one of my favorite scars, um, and that's the difference between men and women. Guys think star scars are cool, right? But I really do have a very cool scar on my elbow here. It's kind of in the shape of an S, and that's where I had surgery to um, reattach my biceps tendon. I was in Honduras playing soccer and got hurt. I'd, I'm not sure if I'm going to play soccer again this year. We'll see. But here's the reality. So many of us have scars on our bodies, right? And what does a scar indicate? It indicates that healing has taken place. But what about the scars you can't see? What about the scars on the inside? Because the reality is that our hearts have been wounded by many things. Isn't that true? And where do those wounds come from? Well, sometimes they come from other people. Um, people hurt us. How many of you have ever been hurt by another human being? Yeah, who hasn't, right? And those, those wounds sometimes are intentional. They meant to do it. Sometimes it was unintentional. Just this week, I wounded somebody unintentionally. I didn't mean to do it. It still happened. And sometimes those wounds are because of events in our lives that are just totally beyond our control. There, there's nothing we can do about some of the things that happened to us. But sometimes those scars are because of choices that we ourselves have made. Isn't that true? Now, this morning, we're continuing this series called Amazing Grace, and we're going to focus on another facet of God's grace. It's called healing grace. And we're not talking about physical healing, because God certainly can heal us physically. We're talking about the emotional healing, the spiritual healing that God can bring about in our lives. And here's our verse of the week. This is from the book of Psalms. It's a really powerful verse about God, and it says this, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. And I'm so glad this is true. God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Now, what is a wound? Let me give you a definition, and this is on your outline. It's from a pastor um, that I really uh, have a lot of respect for. His name is Robert Lewis. He says this, a wound is any unresolved issue or a lack of closure. And you could even replace that word closure with healing, where a lack of healing adversely impacts and shapes the direction and dynamics of your life right now. I have a question for all of you baby boomers. That's people born between 1946 and 1964. And if you aren't in that segment of our population, maybe you know the answer too. Um, who is this musical group? Okay, you got it. It's the Bee Gees, uh, Robin and Barry and Maurice Gibb. 
And they wrote a song, classic song, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Good. And I found out this week, because I didn't know this, that this song is really autobiographical, that their relationships as brothers were broken. And two of them got together and wrote this song and invited the other brother to come and be a part of the group again. And God brought about some healing in their hearts. But that is really an important question, isn't it? How does God mend a broken heart? And here's where it starts, when you look back, when you look back, and that's on your outline. See, for better or for worse, we've all been shaped by our past. You've been shaped by the family that you grew up in, the kinds of things you experienced as a child. You've been shaped by the choices of other people. You've been shaped by your own choices. And in order to understand ourselves, we have to take a look back. And we have to do this. We have to understand how our past has affected us. You need to understand how your past has affected you. Now listen, God wants to heal our hearts. God wants to change our hearts, but here's an important reality. You cannot change what you don't understand. You can't change what you don't understand. I was talking with a, a man, and he's not uh, a member here at our church. He's not part of our church family, but he gave me permission to share this story without his name. And we were talking, and he was having just a lot of trouble in his marriage, a lot of trouble in his family, and I was just listening to his story. And he said, you know, Pastor Dudley, I grew up in a home where um, both my parents abused alcohol, and it was just a mess. There was a lot of conflict. And I asked him how he dealt with it, and he said, well, pretty much I just shut down emotionally. I just withdrew. And he said, and then I, you know, I got through um, high school and college, got married, had some kids, and now... There's all this turmoil in my family. My wife says that, that I don't listen to her, that I don't meet her needs, um, that I'm withdrawn, that I'm isolated, and my kids basically say, Dad, we don't even know who you are. And he asked me this question. He says, why do you think that's the case? Well, it doesn't take a degree in psychology to figure out this man has been deeply impacted by what he experienced as a child. And you see, that's true for every single one of us. And if we want to make positive changes in the present, we have to make an effort to understand the past. Look at this verse. It's from the book of Ephesians. It says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. And this is written to people who are now followers of Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here's the thing. You can't put on your new self unless you understand your old self, unless you understand the events, the, the people, the choices that have shaped your heart. Now, I know that for some of us, we just don't want to do that. But this is where healing actually takes place, when you're willing to take a look back and understand those things. And there are a number of ways you can do that. You can you know, talk to a friend that you really trust, somebody who understands you. Um, you can go to a Christian counselor, often that's very helpful, in trying to understand the things that have shaped your heart. There are some excellent Christian books and resources that can help you deal with specific issues. And as your pastor, I encourage you to do that. And as you take this look back, it's important that you do this as well. Forgive those who have hurt you. Because so often, that's where the wounds came from. People hurt us. And if we're ever going to experience healing, we have to learn to forgive. There was a, a teacher, and she was working with a, a classroom of fifth graders in Sunday school. And she said, hey, class, um, does anybody know what Jesus taught about marriage? And one little boy raises his hand and says, yes. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
I often feel like that. Um, I remember Ruth Graham Bell, who was married to Billy Graham. She said this one time. She said that a successful marriage is the union of two forgivers. Man, that is so true. God heals our hearts through this process of forgiveness. When I was a, a little kid, I was always um, getting cuts and scrapes because I was pretty rambunctious. I played sports. I would jump out of trees, all kinds of craziness. Now, when you cut your, your arm, cut your skin, what forms in the healing process? What do you call that? Yeah, we all know this, right? It's a scab, and my mom was an ER nurse. And whenever I would have a cut and it was starting to heal, she, I can hear her words today. Dudley, if you pick it, it will never... We know this, don't we? Now, think about the wounds on your heart, the wounds that are trying to heal. If you don't forgive... You're never going to heal. If you pick that wound in your heart, you're never going to heal. And that's why the Bible talks so much about forgiveness. And that could be an entire topic um, for a week. But let me just show you one verse. It says this, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you, and what is the next word? Must. Listen, if you want your heart to heal, this is non-negotiable. You must forgive others. And just real quickly, um, there's so many things I could say about forgiveness, but one of the things that I hear from people is this. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I just can't do it. You don't know what they did to me. I will never forgive. I can't forgive. And sometimes it's because people don't understand forgiveness. Because I remember hearing this. What you need to do is forgive and forget. Now, is that even possible? No. I mean, your mind's not a chalkboard. You can't just erase it. You can't just hit a delete button. Oh, my memory's been wiped. I don't have any idea what happened to me. We can't do that. And God's not asking us to do that. But what forgiveness involves is letting it go. Giving up the right, the perceived right to get even, to get revenge. That's what forgiveness is. And here's something else with regard to forgiveness. You know, people say, well, you know what? I can't forgive because I could never trust that person again. Those are separate issues. So you can choose to forgive, but trust has to be rebuilt over time. It has to be rebuilt through consistent behavior and kept promises. But here's the thing. When forgiveness happens, healing happens. And that's what God wants for us. So first of all, in order to heal a broken heart, look back. And secondly, look up. Look up so that you can do this, so that you can focus on the healer and not the hurt. Look at this verse from Jeremiah. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will do what? I will heal your wayward hearts. Now, when you've been hurt, where do you typically focus? On yourself. Look what they did to me. You focus on the pain in your heart. But listen, if you want to get past that pain, because so often when we focus on our pain, we get stuck right there and we can't make any progress. If you want to make progress, if you want to get on the road to recovery, you've got to quit focusing on your hurt and focus on the healer. Now, does that mean that you just deny what's happened to you? Not at all. You have to process those things. But we have to realize that Jesus Christ came to this world to heal our hearts. In fact, when Jesus was preaching his first public sermon, he actually took a, a scroll it was a scroll of Isaiah, the Old Testament book, and this is what he read. He said this, the Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted. God sent me to announce the year of his what? 
the year of his grace. See, grace heals our broken hearts. God, because of his amazing grace, is able to take something very bad and use it to accomplish something very good. And church, I believe this completely, that God never wastes the pain in the lives of his kids. And listen, um, you'll never experience God's healing by hanging on to your hurts. And I think one of the reasons we do that is that subconsciously we're afraid to forget. We're thinking, you know what, if I don't remember this, the person who did it gets off the hook. And I can't let that happen, so I've got to remember and remind myself of what they did to me. But let me ask you this, does God know what they did? Absolutely. Can he deal with their heart and your heart? Well, yes, he can. So why don't we do this? Why don't we leave it in God's hands? Because when we choose to do that, it brings healing to our hearts. So how do you mend a broken heart? Well, you look back, you look up, and here's another thing to do as you look up. Ask God to help you see yourself as he sees you. Ask God to help you see yourself as he sees you, and this is huge. One year, our family went to the South Florida Fair, and we went to this place called the Fun House. Anybody ever go to the Fun House? And inside the Fun House are all these wacky mirrors, and they make you look weird, right? Like really skinny or really wide or whatever. The image is completely distorted. And here's what I want you to see. When you're a kid growing up, the adults around you are like mirrors because you see yourself reflected in the things they say to you. Like, why do you always mess things up? Why can't you ever do anything right? Why can't you be more like your brother? And the problem is that kids so often accept what they hear from adults as the truth. Now, some of us today are still battling some of those words that we heard growing up. And this is why seeing ourselves from God's point of view is so incredibly important. Now, in order to see yourself from God's point of view, you need a special pair of glasses. And some of you know what I'm going to say next, right? What kind of glasses do you need? There you go. You need gospel glasses. Now, church, I want you to think about this because this is so helpful. And let me just go ahead and go to the next slide so that that doesn't drive you crazy. I think that we have a fundamental blindness that God wants to cure. And the blindness carries us in two different directions. I think we're fundamentally blind to the bad news. And we're fundamentally blind to the good news. And here's what I mean. The sin in our hearts is much deeper than we realize. We are more selfish than we realize, more prideful, more messed up than we realize. And I was thinking the other day, I'm so thankful that when I said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, he didn't just go, okay, let me show you your heart. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. But progressively, God does that. He shows us the issues in our hearts that he wants us to deal with. And so this idea that we come into the world with a heart that's at odds with God, that's absolutely true. And what the Bible says is also spot on that our, our sin separates us from a holy God. And because of our sin, God needs to be who he is, which is a holy God. He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. That punishment is to be separated from him forever. And you know, sometimes we hear that bad news. And even as a believer, we go, yeah, that's pretty bad. It's really, really bad because we can't do anything to save ourselves and we don't even see the depth of our sin. But God says, okay, well, let me show you that. But let me show you something else. Let me show you my grace. And that's what the story is in the book, the story of God sending his son Jesus to this earth. Now, why did Jesus come to our world? John 3.16 tells us, and this is Jesus. For God so, yeah, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus comes on this rescue mission. And somebody said this one time, you know, when Jesus was nailed to a cross, they didn't really need the nails to hold him there. His love was holding him there because Jesus could have called that whole thing off in an instant. And he chose not to because he loves you and me that much. And so that story is an amazing story because Jesus lives a perfect life. We could never do that because we're sinful people. Our heart's messed up. His wasn't, thank God. He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross to die in our place so that God can do this. There's an amazing transaction. God says, I'll tell you what, I will put your sin on Jesus and punish him in your place. And when you choose to trust my son, I will take his perfect record of obedience and give it to you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And so as we come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to follow you. I, I really believe all the stuff is true. Jesus says, okay, now I want to deal with your blindness. I want you to see how messed up your heart is. But listen, I don't want to stop there. I want you to see how amazing my grace is. And so just for a few minutes, I want to pull the curtain back. All right? And I want you to think with me about how God sees you and how God sees me as his kids. Are you ready? Because I hope this will really, really encourage you. And here's the first thing that you can see when you look into the face of your father. You can say, you know what? I am valuable. I really am. The Bible says this in the book of Isaiah. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Think about this. What determines the value of an object? Well, primarily two things. What somebody is willing to pay for it. Think about this. If you own a home and you put it up for sale, what determines how much your home is worth? Is it what the uh, broker says? What the agent says? What determines the worth of a home? Well, somebody will pay for it. Pure and simple. Now, if you think about that, what was God the Father willing to pay for you? I mean, he gave his one and only son. That should make us just, wait a minute, I'm that valuable? Yes, you are. In the eyes of God, your father. And what about this? This is another thing with, with ownership. There's a, a famous tennis player. Does anybody know who that is? Serena Williams. Now, she has a tennis racket in her hand. Now, if I have the same exact tennis racket and we both sell our tennis rackets, which one's <laughs> going to get a higher price? Yeah, I know. Yeah, hers is. Why? Because the value of an object is determined by who owns it. Isn't that true? You know what the Bible says? When you become a Christian, you belong to God. You belong to God. You're his son. You're his daughter. That's what determines your value. And some of us, when we were growing up, thought we were worthless, that we had little or no value. And God says, that's not true. That's not who you are. You are precious to me and valuable in my sight. And listen, if you really believe that, that helps to heal those wounds in your heart. Now, here's another thing you need to see. As you look into the face of your father, you can say, you know what? I am lovable. I really am. Now, look at this verse. This is from Isaiah 54. The mountains and the hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. When you've been wounded by the words or the actions of another person, by the events in your life, even by your own choices. When you feel the, the sting of rejection, isn't it good to know somebody really loves you still? After what you did, after what you said, somebody still loves me. That's a wonderful thing. And what I want you to think about, just for a moment, is the difference between human love and divine love. 
between our love and God's love. Because see, so often our love is inconsistent. It, it really is. And, and that inconsistency can wound our hearts. Think about the kid who's growing up and the father says, hey, I really love you. But that father doesn't spend time with his son or with his daughter. And what if that father walks out of his kid's life entirely? That inconsistent love leaves deep wounds. What about a marriage? Where you say to yourself, hey, I love you, but then you don't act in love. And you say things and do things that hurt your spouse. That kind of inconsistency wounds our hearts. And we've all been there. We know this. But here's another thing in terms of the difference between our love and God's love. God's love is completely unconditional. Now, how many of you have heard that before? All right? All right. I want you to really think about what that means, though. That means that you don't have to earn God's love. You don't deserve God's love. God loves you because God is love. And the reality is that human love is so conditional. You know, so many times, this is the way people are thinking, I love you if, right, if you meet my expectations, if you meet my needs, I will love you if you make good grades, if you make enough money, if you make me proud of you, I will love you if you remember my birthday and never forget our anniversary, and the list goes on and on and on. Or, or people think this way, I love you because. Think about that married couple. Hey, honey, I love you because you're so beautiful. What if I lose my beauty? I guess you're in deep trouble. I love you because you're so smart. Well, what if a disease robs me of my intellect? I love you because you're talented. What if you meet somebody more talented? I mean, do you leave your spouse because, hey, here's somebody more talented, more attractive, more intelligent. See, that is conditional love. And as we look back over our lives, our hearts have been so wounded by inconsistent and conditional love. And then God says, hey, I want you to know this. I love you just the way you are. I don't want to leave you the way you are, but I love you just the way you are. And my love will heal your heart and transform your life and we don't have to wake up in the morning and say, God, do you still love me today? You know, God, did, did, I, did I pray enough? Did I give enough? Did I serve enough? Was I good enough, Father? We don't have to ask that question because here's the reality. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does at this moment. And, and conversely, there's nothing you can do or say that will make God love you any less. And when you start to wrap your mind around that and your heart around that, that's where healing really takes place. And I'm convinced of this, and we'll talk about this when we get into this 40-day adventure. 40 days of love. I'm getting you ready. <laughs> 40 days of love. But here's the thing. Jesus, he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he gets his disciples together, and he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And some of you know exactly what he said. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, Jesus loves us how? Consistently and unconditionally. So what would happen, church, if we did that for each other? It would heal our broken hearts. And that's exactly what God wants. So realize that you are valuable. And what's the next thing? You are lovable. Here's the next thing. You are, I am, forgivable. Forgivable. This is from the book of Ephesians. It says, through what Christ would do for us, that is, go to the cross and rise from the dead, God decided to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fault, we stand before him covered with his love. I can't get over the truth of this verse. That means that when God looks at me, it's as if I have never sinned. When God looks at me, it's as if I have no faults. And it's like, really? Yeah, because you're covered in his love. 
because you've been forgiven. Your past is done. And when we know that, when we believe that, it heals our heart. I was reading a story from a pastor, and it was really quite intriguing. He said that there's a lady in this church where he serves, and she just had this really pessimistic outlook. You know, she was one of those people who sees the glass as half empty all the time. And so he would talk to her, you know, after he would, you know, speak on Sunday morning, and without fail, she would walk by the pastor, shake his hand, and say, Pastor, boy, God really convicted me today about this or about that. And after she'd done this for, for weeks, the pastor finally said on a Sunday morning when she shook his hand, um, Mrs. So-and-so, let me ask you a question. Does God ever say anything nice to you? Does God ever say anything nice to you? Because, you know, there are people who think God is this unpleasable parent. Hey, you messed up again. Is that the best you can do? Can't you get anything right? God wants to encourage his children. Now, don't misunderstand. You know, if we're off the path, God will convict us, and he will tell us where our actions and our attitudes need to be corrected. But I, I believe this is so important for us to realize. If you hear the voice of discouragement, that is not God. It's coming from your head. It's coming from other people. It's coming from the enemy. God never, ever wants to discourage his children. He wants to encourage us and to remind us that we are valuable and we are lovable and we are forgivable. And here's the last thing. I am capable. You are capable as a son or a daughter of God. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Puedo hacer todas las cosas en Cristo que me fortalece. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And listen, maybe this morning your heart has been wounded by failure. My heart has been very wounded by failure. Some of us have failed as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a pastor. What do you do with those failures? How do you move beyond those failures? You have to realize that in Christ you have a new potential. And that's what gospel glasses remind us of, that the Spirit of God lives in us, that we can do things that we never thought we could do because God makes us capable. And here's something really, really important when it comes to how you see yourself. When you're a Christian, you never, ever should see yourself as a victim. Do you realize that? You should see yourself as a victor. And what a world of difference. Let me ask you this. How do you act if you see yourself as a victim? This is a really simple question. How do you act if you see yourself as a victim? You act like a, a victim, because that's how you see yourself. I'm a victim. If you see yourself as a victor, how do you act? You act like a victor. You have a boldness and a confidence, not in your own wisdom, not in your own strength, but because of Jesus who lives in you, you now can do everything that God calls you to do, and that perspective can heal your heart. So how do you mend a broken heart? You look back, you look up, and finally you do this. You look ahead. You look ahead. Let me share a, a brief story with you. Um, there was a frog, and this frog was going through some really hard times in his life. This frog had been hit by a car, and man, he was all cut up and scraped up, and he was just dealing with his wounds. And the frog was really concerned about his future and what was going to happen to him. So he decided that he would go to a fortune teller. That's what he did. He goes to a fortune teller and he says, look, I need to know the future. So the fortune teller looks into the crystal ball and she says, whoa, I see a beautiful young woman in your future. And the frog goes, I knew it. I knew it. I'm going to be a handsome prince. Tell me more. 
And the fortune teller says, well, this young lady will have an insatiable desire to know all about you. Uh, you will fascinate her from the tip of your nose to the bottom of your feet. And the frog goes, this, this is great. Where are we going to meet? In a singles bar? And the fortune teller says, no, in a high school biology class. <laughs> when your heart has been wounded, sometimes you don't want to know the future. You're afraid to step into the future because you're afraid you'll be hurt again. So how can you do that? How can you move into the future that God has in store for you? You have to overcome your fear. And the way to overcome fear is by faith. It's by faith in a God who loves you and has a good purpose for you. Now, take a look at this, this verse that talks about how we face the future with faith. It says this in Psalm 31. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Wouldn't it be great to really be able to say that with all our heart? God, I trust you, man. My future's in your hands. There was a, a king, and the king had a friend, and they went shooting. And one of the things that the king liked about his friend is no matter what happened, his friend was the most encouraging, positive person. He would always say three words, this is good. Whatever happened, this is good. So they go shooting, and the friend was loading the guns and handing them to the king, and something went wrong in that process, and the king pulled the trigger, and it blew his thumb off. And his friend looks at his thumb, and it's just gone. He's got this bloody stump of a hand. And his friend says, this is good. Well, the king is furious. He says, this can't be good. This is, this is stupid. And he was so mad that he threw his friend into prison. Well, about a year later, the king goes shooting again because he's recovered. But this time, something very unexpected happened. He was captured by a, a group of cannibals, and they were going to eat him. And so they're checking him out, and they realize this guy's not whole. He's missing his thumb. And because they were superstitious, they wouldn't eat anybody that was missing a body part. So they let him go. And so the king is walking home, and he's thinking, oh, man, my friend, I put him in jail. I feel so bad. So he goes to the jail to talk to his friend, and he says, listen, I just want to apologize. I'm so sorry for putting you in jail. Um, it was a very bad thing to do. And his friend says, no, this is good. <laughs> the king goes, how can it be good that I put my friend in jail for a year? He said, well, if I wasn't in jail, I would have been with you when you were captured by the cannibals. <laughs> do you really believe this is good? the thing that God has allowed to come into your life? Do you believe it in the sense that God can use it for good? Because I will tell you this, when hard things happen, when bad things happen, I don't say this is good, because often it's not. But I can say this, God is good. God is good. God can take things that are so painful and so damaging and use them by his incredible power to turn our lives around, and we need to know that. That's the only way we can step into the future with faith. But let me say one more thing about stepping into the future. We need to step into the future with a friend. We need to face the future with a friend. Look at this verse from Proverbs. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen, when you've been wounded by a friend, man, that really hurts, doesn't it? 
And sometimes when we're wounded by friends, we just feel like, I'm done. I don't want any more friends. I don't need any more friends. But that's not true, is it? Because God never intended for us to go through life alone. He says, hey, get up, get up, and keep going. Face the future with faith and face the future, future with a friend. And I will tell you this, one of the best places to find friends is in your church family. Some of you have the most extraordinary friendships. And when I see that, I am so encouraged. And honestly, one of the best places to develop those friendships is in a small group. And so with this 40-day adventure, I really encourage you to, to get into a group and share your life and, and make yourself vulnerable and build that trust that it takes to, to have a friend and to be a friend. Because listen, you need a friend who will listen to your heart and you need a friend who will love you enough to tell you the truth and you need a friend who will remind you of how valuable and lovable and forgivable and capable you are in God's eyes. And I pray that you will find those kinds of friendships right here in our church family. And let me, let me close with this one thought. Back to the original question, how do you mend a broken heart? I mean, really, what do you do with the pain in your heart? What do you do when it really hurts? Because I will tell you this from my own personal experience and, and years of, of being a pastor, um, just years of life, that so often we do this when we have pain. We deny it. We ignore it. We push it down as far as we can. And some of the, the ways we do that, and I've, I've done some of these things, working too much, so that I don't have to really deal with the issues of my heart. Some people eat too much, drink too much, sleep too much. There's all kinds of excesses. Sometimes people escape to the world of video games or sexual fantasies because they just want to get away from the pain. But here's the problem with those approaches. They don't work, and they don't last, and they, they lead us into addictive behaviors that hurt us and hurt the people we love. So what's the alternative? Well, it's right here. Go to God. Don't run from God when your heart is broken. Run to God. Because with God's help, you really can look back and understand the things that have shaped your heart. With God's help, you really can forgive those who have hurt you. With God's help, you can look up and be reminded that God really loves you. And with God's help, you can look ahead and face the future with faith and face the future with a friend. And with God's help, you can do this. You can believe, really, really believe that God can heal your heart with his amazing, amazing grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you that your, your words are true. Lord, thank you for the healing that so many of us have experienced. We are so grateful for that. And God, today, as we celebrate communion, as we remember, Lord Jesus, your great love, would you please do this? Would you please continue to heal our hearts? For we pray in Jesus' name. Precious name, amen.